Mac Power Users, Episode 514. Apple is listening. The 2019 Mac Pro with Thomas Grove Carter. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my co-host, my friend, your friend, everyone's friend, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. Welcome to a very special episode of Mac Power Users. It is a very special episode. We have an awesome guest who we're extremely excited to talk about. But today is Mac Pro Day. That's, that's what uh, this interview is going to be about, what that machine lets people do, how it speeds up workflows, how it, uh, as we'll talk about, creates new opportunities for new workflows. Uh, we're really excited to be able to talk about it. Steven, are you going to put Mac Pro Day like as a repeating event in your calendar so you can celebrate it every year now? Like a like a like a holiday? Yeah, like an anniversary. That's not a bad idea. I'll get on that. Okay. Well, we want to welcome our guest to the show today. Welcome to the show, Thomas Grove Carter. Hey guys. Now, Thomas is a uh, is an editor. Uh, we uh, we re- we interviewed Doug Brooks, the product manager for the the Mac Pro back at WWDC. Thomas is one of the lucky few. Thomas uh, is a very well-known editor. He's worked on some some big projects, Ed Sheeran, Lego Movie, Music Video, Game of Thrones, Apple Privacy Commercials. You saw those privacy commercials? Thomas did those. Based out of London, and more importantly, uh, Apple has entrusted you with one of these fancy new Mac Pros for two or three weeks now before launching. Uh, we are able to bring to the audience someone who's actually been using the new computer. Hey, Thanks for having me on, guys. Thomas, you've done some other stuff with Apple in the past. You did the review of the original Touch Bar MacBook Pro. I mean, you're just a power user. I mean, uh, video editors are you know legendary for the amount of RAM and storage and data that they can burn through on their projects. So I know that you've been using Apple for a long time, but just tell us a little bit about how your story got started with Apple. Yeah, so I've, I first started using Macs when I was at university. Um, I got one of the, oh, when was that uni? Uh, <laughs> a long time ago, <laughs> but I had one of the white, I'm Stephen, you might be able to tell me this. I had a white iMac with maybe a small screen and no eyesight camera. That was my first, that was my first Mac. Okay. So, you know, mid two thousands, somewhere Something in like that. Yeah. That, that's where I am. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then I, then I ended up with the white MacBook as well and then graduated to a, aluminum uh iMac uh, with the black back mm-hmm. and then oh, where am i now now and then since then i've been using laptops when i started as a professional editor the company as a work out have often had desktops so my personal computers have all become laptops because i occasionally need to be on set or editing from home and different things like that i was thinking about that original white iMac when you said it I, that's the one with the clear keyboard right i think so yeah, the keyboard had a clear case. It was a great idea. It looked beautiful in the Apple store. But as soon as you brought it home and like hair and crumbs and things started falling into the <laughs> oh, keyboard. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and after two years, final two years of college, it was definitely mucky in there. Oh, God, yeah. that sounded worse than I meant it to. Sorry. Um, but yeah, food, a lot of food, late night, crisp eating, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, so when when I first started out, I was using Final Cut Pro sort of the classic version of it back then, which was probably, I think, Final Cut Pro 4.5 or whatever they titled HD. Yeah. Um, and that's what I used for all my sort of home editing and stuff like that. And then when I finally got a job, I became a runner. 
uh, or I became an assistant in a post house working, doing all the technical stuff. Um, and I was learning. I actually started, actually, I've forgotten about this part of my life. Actually, it's so long ago now, but I was, I was in an all Apple Final Cut post house back in when I first moved to London. It must have been 2008, I guess, maybe even longer ago than that. And it was a place called Unit and it was all Final Cut Pro. It had a SAN. And yeah, so I, I started work there assisting with all this, uh, these sort of high end Final Cut workflows for TV and, and um, commercial work. How unusual was that at the time to be in a in a business, uh, you know, commercial business that was all Final Cut? I don't think it was that unusual. It wasn't. Uh, most places were avid, but then Final Cut Classic. Well, it was probably Final Cut six and seven by that point. That was definitely way more dominant than Premiere or anything. That you know, I don't think where we are now, where Premiere is now, is not what it was like back then. So Final Cut 7 was definitely in a really good place, but that was it was definitely unique that that was a company that was all Final Cut Pro. I think it was quite known, you know, sort of in in London for being, you know, they were that was their selling point that they completely ran off Final Cut Pro and it was cut they used color as well. If you remember color which came with yeah. Final Cut Studio 2. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, but back then I was, we were using, my job was loading in from tape, uh, from DigiBeta. Um, we, we'd be loading in rushes for the, for the editors and breaking down the tapes and then laying back to tape and putting stuff out to broadcast, um, all on tape. So, you know, you'd be, yeah, I mean the crazy stuff you had to do with the kind of frame offsets, cause nothing would be audio and video would be out of sync automatically go when you laid back to tape so you had to compensate for that by a frame or two so you'd like lay back the first 10 seconds check it was in sync and then lay the whole thing back it was um yeah it was quite a different time yeah it's, it's amazing how much that industry has changed in the last 10 years yeah and when i first so just to carry on from my story um it's sort of my backstory there um i was editing music videos for a friend there in my bedroom in the evenings basically when i wasn't working in this basement uh, machine room and then the production company he was at, they had an editor who they went to all the time. So they started sending my edits to him for feedback. And I started getting this feedback from this editor. Really, it was actually quite amazing feedback, really productive, uh, constructive feedback. And um, and eventually he just sent me an email and said, do you want to quit your job there? You'll have to take a pay cut, but come here and be a runner and make tea and coffee for our clients. And I can start giving you music videos that I can't do. Because he, I guess he saw something in me that, you know, he kind of thought was, yeah, something he th- he thought was was a talent that was going to grow. Or he thought saw that I had something in music video editing that he liked. Um, and so I went there, I took this pay cut, three grand pay cut to go there, which at the time I wasn't earning very much. So that was <laughs> a big chunk of my income gone. Yeah. And uh, But then in the first two years in that job, I edited... 60 music videos in the first two years wow um so i was just uh, very quickly they had to employ another runner because i was doing too much editing work and then yeah I, my sort of career slowly got off to a start there doing music videos and then more commercials and then i finally then i was approached by another company uh, a bigger company called trim editing which is where i am now and i moved over here about seven years ago um, and i've been here ever since and then since then actually we've taken the editor who got me the job initially, he has now moved here as well. So we're now back in the, the bands back together. <laughs> now, throughout this time, were you uh, Apple hardware and, and Final Cut? Was that the, those your weapons of choice throughout this period? Yeah, always Final Cut. Um, 
I mean, a lot of the commercial editing at that time was being done in Avid. Uh, the boss of the company I was first at was cutting in Avid, but the guy who got me to come and join the company, a guy called Vid Bryce, he was using Final Cut. And we would have been using Cheese Grater, or maybe they would have been G5s, I don't know. I don't know if they were Mac Cheese Graters, that's a general term, I suppose. So they yeah. were they yeah. were either Mac Pros or G5s um, with Apple Cinema displays at that point. And then eventually moving on to IMAX, I think. But yeah, so it was always Apple hardware. Um, the point I was quickly going to make was that when I first started doing music videos, if someone had shot something on film, which happens occasionally in music videos, it always used to come on this SD digi beta. And I remember I used to ask for a QuickTime, and it was back then it was so hard to get anyone to transfer anything to a QuickTime for you. Um, they wanted extra money for it because it was the it was the outlier. It wasn't the normal thing that was done. So it's really weird to think now if I requested a tape, I'd be laughed out of the room probably. Yeah, <laughs> it is crazy. And and so you've been doing Apple hardware Final Cut the whole time. We're going to talk later in the show about Final Cut because I know there's a lot of listeners. Now, you know, Final Cut, you used to mortgage your house to buy Final Cut. Now it's like 300 bucks. It's It's a lot easier to get into it. And I definitely want to talk to you about that later uh, with all your knowledge. But before we get there, I'd like to get kind of an overview of the types of workflows you're doing as an editor currently. Maybe if I talk a bit about the company I'm working at and the kind of stuff we do and the workflows we we have, is yeah. that helpful? Yeah. So we're kind of, we've got about eight to 10 editors here, uh, trim editing. We do a lot of, you know, the main bread and butter is high-end television commercials, uh, music videos as well. And then we've also... There's a few kind of TV shows and things that get done. One of the editors has worked on uh, Black Mirror. There's someone else doing a four-part um, Channel 4 drama at the moment. And, you know, the, a couple of the guys have done feature films as well. But the main day-to-day stuff is music videos and commercials. Um, so there's about eight to ten editors here. We've got a few assistants and a few junior editors who are kind of staff editors. Yeah, so we work closely with production companies and directors mainly, and they... You know, they're going out and shooting all the stuff. They will bring us the beginning of a project. We'll get a drive dumped on us or, a you know, an upload more often now, you know, so we can download all the rushes. And typically we'll be working with ProRes Proxy HD files. So, you know, everything that's shot, maybe it'll be shot 4K or higher and it'll be crunched down to 1080 ProRes Proxy. And yeah, we're, we're ingesting that straight into Final Cut and we're, we're cutting with the offline rushes like that. Um, we're doing as much as we can to make it look great and sound great and really build the story um, visually and with audio. That kind of stuff gets approved by clients, ideally. And then um, afterwards, we send stuff off and collaborate with other big post houses. So um, some of the big places that do um, feature film posts like Framestore, The Mill, MPC, all these kind of places, that's where it'll go for specialist grading and it'll go off to sound mixes for like, full-blown sound mix for cinema mixes and tv mixes so we're really just working on on the whole we're really just working on the creative editing part where we're telling the story and we're you know working out figuring out how to best tell this thing and make it great basically thomas some of the listeners i'm sure are are unfamiliar with the term prores proxy could you explain what that means yeah so prores is the apple prores is the is a format as a codec created by Apple. Um, it's it's a slightly compressed codec, I guess, and it you know it's not like a raw codec. Uh, it's great to work with in editing, and most editing software works really well with it. So you've got 
the different levels, you've got ProRes 4444, which is which the Alexa camera shoots to, or it can shoot an even higher one, which is 444XQ, I think. Uh, that's the kind of highest, biggest, heaviest form of ProRes. Then the normal kind of forms of ProRes are ProRes 422HQ and 422. That's kind of, you know, that's just really great looking stuff you're not most of us couldn't tell the difference at all and then you below that you've got lt and proxy now proxy is probably a quarter the size of a prores 422 file something like that i can't remember exactly off the top of my head but it just means that the file sizes are not enormous um you know if we've got a job that's got anywhere between five and 20 hours of rushes Sometimes it's just not manageable to have that amount of stuff on your hard drive because it can really balloon quite quickly. Especially nowadays when we we often request the rushes at the frame size that we're shot at. So if something's shot 4K, I want it at the 4K size so I know exactly what I've got to play with pixel-wise. But yeah, so Proxy is just a, it's like a lightweight codec. If you really look closely, you can tell the difference between that and a 422. But for most of the stuff we do, it's... um really usable and then and then we'll be sending off edls and xml's to post houses who are relinking to the raw media afterwards or sometimes we relink here and if we're doing the fine finishing on the job yeah like if listeners were aperture users you may remember there was a time with photographs there were proxy files in aperture because the computers couldn't handle the you know the megapixel size of photographs but now computers have got fast enough that you don't see that anymore it's just you're using the source image. But with video, that's still an issue. Yeah, and actually with a lot of Apple, most Apple computers, definitely MacBook Pros, iMacs, iMac Pros and beyond, they can all, a lot of them can work quite well with, with the raw rushes, with raw ProRes files at least. But, you know, you may not be able to get loads of multicam streams and, you know, that you might not be able to work as much without rendering at full at full quality without rendering so and then the other thing is the consideration is just hard drive space basically sometimes it's just not worth our time to have you know, a hard drive full of the full res rushes if if we don't need to yeah and when we get to talking about this new mac pro that's one thing i definitely want to hear about um the ability to work with the raw files as opposed to the proxy files yeah definitely so your your primary focus is is the edit, and then you you're not doing like the color correction and stuff that you used to do before. Uh, no, not typically. No, but well, I can talk about that soon because we've we've re- in the last year or so we've expanded the kind of offerings we have to clients. So we have actually got a Resolve color grading suite here now as well. So yeah, we we do do that now on certain projects, which I'll get into later. But typically we're um, yeah, typically not we're we're doing the creative editing, the storytelling, and then it'll go, you know, a lot of directors, they want to work with a specialist in every field. You know, they want to work, they're working with the DP, a director of photography on set. They're working with an editor to create the story. They then want to work with a sound mixer and a, and a colorist who they know and, and sort of trust to get the look that they're after or, you know. Yeah. Now, now do you do it all on one Mac or do you like for your work, do you go to different workstations? So the way we're set up at the we're always, we've always been trim's always been quite light on its feet in terms of hardware we we don't tend to buy a lot of we like to buy stuff that's off the shelf so if something goes wrong we can go to an apple store and buy a new mac or stuff like that or you know our TVs are all you know they're good quality TVs but they're the kind of TVs you can just you know buy in a buy in a store and 
and so we can replace stuff quite quickly and we can move stuff around and we don't we try not to rely on expensive hardware io so often for anyone who doesn't know what that kind of stuff is you get like black magic and aja boxes and avid has often required it to send the video signal from your computer to a display often i have to have these things but they always they always introduce latency like a couple of frame delay in audio and that kind of stuff so you have to slip your audio out of sync if you're presenting or sometimes if they're not out of sync they make the skimmer and playhead a bit you know everything just gets a bit rubbery sometimes in the in the editing system so we've always just used hdmi as an output directly from the mac to the tv and you know then you've got very low latency and you can work very quickly so in terms of the our suites we we have suites a lot of our suites these days are set up their laptop suites so we have like a you know you come in and you dock your laptop or there's a company laptop that docks to an lg 5k and out to an hd tv speakers are all there and then we've got other suites with with imac imac pros and we've got other suites we previously had other suites with 2013 Mac Pros, but they were all replaced by kind of laptops or iMac Pros. So in short, we 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 use quite a lot of different types of setups in the company, um, and different editors like to work in different ways. Uh, and when I'm editing at home, I edit off of a, a MacBook Pro. Uh, sometimes I'll just bring that MacBook Pro into work, dock in an edit suite, and carry on working. Uh, or sometimes like more often than not i'm working from from my imac pro in the edit suite until recently that sort of uh docking solution is something that i know a lot of mac users have have wanted for a long time and it seems like now in the age of of thunderbolt 3 we finally have something flexible and powerful enough where you really can just carry your computer around and anywhere you go become a, a complete setup with just a few cables yeah, it's really great. And and when I say docking, we're we're not I haven't really got any like docking station or anything like that. We you pop your laptop down on a stand and then there's one cable connecting you to the iMac uh, to the LG 5K and another one connecting to a which goes to like a USB hub and HDMI splitter and that's it. Two plugs and you're off. Or in the case of one of our editors, one of our editors, he's got a um one of the Blackmagic eGPUs. So he's mm-hmm. just, what, one cable into his laptop and then all the I.O., the connection to the 5K monitor, to the TV, audio, everything goes out of the of the eGPU. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great system uh, and I really enjoy it. Uh, it's nice to have your personal laptop with your email and your personal apps. It's nice to be able to use that at the office where, you know, you might be sharing the edit suite day to day with other people and the the reason we do that is because we have different size edit suites some of our edit suites are vast that could have 20 people sitting in them some of them are a bit smaller with you know it might just be comfortable for a director and producer and most of them are sort of mid-sized but you know some we move between edit suites depending on how many clients we've got in that day or if we're doing a big presentation or something so we do move between suites a little bit. So sometimes it is nice to have your own laptop that you can move from one suite to the next and you always know it's your laptop with your stuff on. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, the password manager that lets you keep your logins with you wherever you go because it syncs across all of your devices, your Macs, PCs, iPads, iPhones, Android phone, the web. Anywhere you are, you can have your logins. 
But 1Password is about a lot more than that. You can store all sorts of things securely in your 1Password vault. Things like uh, bank cards and credit cards, things like your driver's license number. There's a secure notes feature, which I absolutely love, where you can have text and attachments all encrypted, but it's all, again, with you wherever you are. And if you're on an iPhone or iPad, you can unlock with Touch ID or Face ID because 1Password is always making sure to take advantage of the latest technologies on all the platforms they're on. It's the holidays, and that makes me think about 1Password for families. It starts as $4.99 a month. Uh, That's for a family of five when billed annually. And this has totally changed the game for my family. Used to have to share passwords with my spouse, and we'd I messaged them back and forth. It was terrible. One password for families simply solved it. We have a vault that we share. So we have combined things like our utility company, the bank website, you know, the things that we both need to log into. But we can also have personal vaults. So I have all of my stuff in there that my wife doesn't need to see. And she has stuff that uh, she keeps on her own. And one password for families makes it really easy to manage all of that. You get unlimited storage for passwords, credit cards, secure notes, and more. And you can store up to a gigabyte of documents in 1Password for families. So, for instance, I've scanned our wills, and I have them in 1Password in our family vault. So we have access to them there. Go check it out. You're going to go to onepasswordcom MPU, and you can learn more, and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you do sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepasswordcom slash MPU. Go check it out and save 20%. Our thanks to 1Password for their support of the show. Thomas, so when Apple calls you and says, hey, uh, we've got this new Mac Pro. Uh, we'd like to send one to you to check out. What's your response to that? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, like uh, probably first response is trying to hold it together and not yeah, trying to be squeal, cool, not, yeah. not squeal down the phone. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's really exciting. Um, yeah. I've, yeah, I've had a bit of contact with Apple over the years. Um, I think I wrote a few articles and did a few presentations about final cut, at a few events, which maybe got me on their radar. Um, yeah, we've been, I, I had a early access to the iMac pro as well. I got a chance to kind of test that and feedback on it. Um, only a couple of weeks, but you know, just kind of putting it through its paces and see how it was all working. And then, yeah, then they contacted me, uh, you know, a little while ago about about this new machine. Um, so it's really exciting because it's you know, I guess just me and Calvin Harris here with our Mac Pros. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting to have access to a machine like this and um, really put it through its paces. And you know, are you recording on it right now? I'm just curious. Uh, I'm actually not, no. Uh, as I was say, is this the first Mac Pro appearance on <laughs> MPU? <laughs> no, the, ro- the room uh, where the Mac Pro is at the moment is a bit too echoey. Sure. Um, the uh, Just to put it in context, so before you got the new machine, what was your, your desktop machine? Uh, the l- most recent desktop machine was an iMac Pro. Yeah, it's kind of a mid, mid-tier iMac Pro from when it was first released. So it was a 10-core S- Vega 64 16 gig graphics card with 128 gig of ram so it's kind of mid i was going to say middle of the road but that's putting it down too yeah, much middle middle to high high end, high end of the road yeah <laughs> it's such a it's fascinating it's such a fascinating machine to to consider this the journey that apple and its customers have been on with you know the cheese grater going away and then the 2013 mac pro coming and it not being updated and that apple sort of 
coming to the table say, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to start over. We're going to build a new machine from scratch. The 2013 isn't meeting people's needs. And I, I wonder from, from your perspective as someone who is working at the very highest end, it, does this new machine, does the, the new or maybe uh, <laughs> a return to form of this computer, do, do you feel like it is something that is more suited to, to your needs and, and people that, that you work with as opposed to the, to the 2013? Definitely. I think definitely compared to the 2013, one thing is that that I'm sure we'll get into a bit later, but it really opens up way more uh, sort of avenues for work and types of work that we can be doing. The 2013, because it wasn't as expandable by a long way, there was a much more narrow band of work that you could be doing or types of work that it could be used for, I think. Um, With this new machine, you know, it can be specced into all sorts of different configurations which suit you know, not only different types of video work, but different, you know, all sorts of different types of work, whether it's music production or I guess there's, there'll be sort of scientific work that can be done with it or anything, you know. So I think just the configurability, just that alone makes it way more um, useful and, than the 2013. So what's the build on the one you've been using? The machine I've got is a 16 core. Uh, actually, I'd probably say that this, what I've got is probably middle i don't get to say it would be like a middle configuration in the similar way to my imac pro in a way actually which is quite a good comparison so it's 16 cores it's got two vega gpus not the not the duo it's got two single gpus okay uh it's got an afterburner card for handling prores and it's got 192 gig of ram does that cover everything i think so uh, storage think four terabyte ssd okay um which yeah well, one of the nice things about that new Mac Pro is the expandability. You know, it, it's the most expansion-friendly Mac you can buy now. And um, you said, so you've got two video cards plus the afterburner card. Did you put those in, or did they come pre-configured? No, they they came pre-configured. I've been, I, I don't even know what, <laughs> I don't even know what I'd be allowed to put in, having considering it was a pre-release. I've kind yeah. of been too... I have opened it a few times yeah, to yeah. look inside. To, uh, basically, <laughs> How could you resist? I've, I've, yeah, I've opened it to just to kind of admire it because it's really cool on the inside. It looks amazing. Um, yeah. But I would be too nervous to kind of touch anything because, you know, I've been testing it out and I wouldn't want to, you know, I don't want to introduce any bugs in the system through my own fiddling, basically. I feel like we got to see one in, in um, San Jose and it's got this really cool handle on the top that you like twist and pull. It's like, I feel like it should have like, um, you know, like smoke come out of it when you, mm. when you unlock it, you know, like a spaceship or something. Yeah, sound effect. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that it does. When you, when you lift it up, it does have the feeling. I mean, it, you have to give it quite a, you know, it doesn't just slide off, you know, mm-hmm. it slides off easily, but you have to kind of, there's resistance there, which feels really nice. It does feel like you can imagine the kind of pod bay doors opening or something like that. Um, <laughs> and actually the design, the construction design of it is really nice. I mean, I started the first sort of pro max I used were, um, were the old cheese graters. And when you had to move those round, they cut so hard <laughs> into your fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having nice rounded, uh, <laughs> nice rounded handles is really nice for kind of moving it around. That, that sounds silly, but it makes a lot of sense, you know. It does, yeah. Oh, and you have wheels. Do you have wheels on yours? I don't have wheels on this one. Oh, no. man. I, didn't, I didn't have an option. Although I'd be slightly <laughs> terrified that if we were broken into, you're basically inviting someone to ride away on your, your property. <laughs> 
wheeling down the street. Yeah. Um, with a pro display under each arm, maybe. Um, yeah, the handles are great. And actually, I've I started with it under my. So the way we have our a lot of our edit suites set up is my back is to the wall, screen in front of me, and then the clients are kind of on the other side of the room to my right or behind the screen, so that you know I don't particularly like anyone sat behind me looking over my shoulder what I'm doing I'd rather people were just on the other side of the room and they're looking at the HDT for the 4k TV and they're looking at what the final product is they're not looking at me fiddling with buttons and stuff like that sure what that means is that when I put the Mac on you know for it's funny actually for years now it's been so long since I've had a Mac that's on the floor because I've either been using a laptop that's on the desk docked or a 2013 mac pro on the desk or an imac so it's really funny to suddenly have a mac on the floor and trying to work out a way that the cables go neatly up into my desk mm -hmm. <laughs> but i uh i actually put it under my desk as you would with the front facing facing me and i realized after a while that there's nothing on the front that i need to get to you know in the old mac pros you had uh like dvd drives and you had all the yeah. usb slots where right here there's a couple of thunderbolts on top and then everything's around the back and to be honest, once you're set up and going, I'm not plugging things in and out all the time. So I've actually had it under my desk, sort of sideways, so kind of side on to me, uh, mainly because it kind of looks cool and shows off to the clients. Like they can see the front of the, they see the front of the Mac Pro in this kind of cool, aggressive design on the cheese grater now. Yeah, so it's been actually quite funny to figure out a new suite configuration. So Stephen, when you buy one, are you going to put it backwards under your desk too and i was just thinking about how the underside of my desk is and i i'm gonna have to take a day off and just re-cable manage everything it's inevitable <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how your evolution has changed on this purchase though i'll just you say know that. it's i don't that's we're not here to talk about me today <laughs> so uh, you're getting one are you getting one I've been teasing him. <laughs> I I would like to have one. I have an iMac Pro now, and it, it meets my needs very well. But you never know what the future can hold, right? My my crystal ball runs Windows. I can't tell. What I'd like is for you to put all your cards on the table now and tell us what spec you're going to buy and stick to it, regardless oh, of wow. what... wow. You're calling me out. <laughs> regardless of what the uh, total price comes to. I feel like this is in the old West, you know, like there's the guy on the street and, and you're the guy on the street and I'm in the saloon. Right. And I don't want to fight you, but now you're calling me out and I like, <laughs> I have to, you know, uphold my dignity and honor. So I have to step out into the street with you for this duel. Um, <laughs> I have thought about it. I, ha I have the base model iMac pro now. Like I said, it meets my needs. I do a little bit of video, but not much. And for audio, I mean, the iMac pro is, is, is plenty powerful for my needs, right? Like we're not, we're not, uh, we're not tracking orchestras here. We're just making podcasts. But uh, I think if I were to get one or maybe when I do get one, I can say for sure that I will do, I think the, the 10 core CPU, not the base. I think the base is going to be eight. We're recording this before. So there's some, some assumptions here, I guess, but, uh, uh, I would like to do at least one up from the base for the CPU, just so I've got some more longevity out of that processor. But the beauty of this machine is, is that I don't have to, you know, upgrade the RAM or the GPU right out of the box. And so while the, I would like to go higher than the stock GPU, uh, I don't know what that would be or, or if that would be at launch, but um, the CPU would be something I would upgrade and then definitely upgrading the internal storage to at least two terabytes. I have a terabyte on my iMac Pro and I am forever bumping up against that. I wish that I had upgraded it when I bought this computer 
and uh, I will go to at least two terabytes in the future. Um, the last time I bought a laptop, I ended up going for a four terabyte SSD mm-hmm. just because when I'm on set, you can, you know, I can now I can have a few jo- few of my previous jobs on the internal drive, and it's really great. Like I, yeah, you know, it's not always. Well, actually, I was going to say it's not affordable, but if it's your, you know, if you're working with large data sizes like I am with video and stuff, it's kind of, it is nice just not having a drive hanging out and the speeds you're running at when you're on the internal are way faster, obviously, mm-hmm. than any kind of SSD that you could have uh, hooked up to it. Yeah. And that that's something else that's cool about this machine is that there are going to be options, you know, for internal storage expansion. And, and so right now, if you live the iMac life, like you know, David and I both do. He and I, we both have solid state drives and spinning hard drives, you know, hanging off the back of our iMacs underneath the desk somewhere. And it would be nice to bring all that into one box. And um, I don't know, it's it's exciting that, they're, that they've come back to that. And I think it's, I think it's really encouraging. Yeah. And I think it's, um, we can talk about this more later, but it's really important for future workflows to have the fastest drive speeds for some of this stuff, because that's going to end up being the bottleneck with a lot of it. Um mm-hmm. Uh, just quickly, but if, just in case we're about to move on, we do just talking about the internals a little bit more. This thing has got two separate GPUs, which uh, which have been performing great. They're brilliant, but the extra benefit of having two rather than one duo because you can buy there's like a yeah there's the duo which is two in one or these are the two separate ones. Is that on each GPU I'm getting four Thunderbolt threes and an HDMI port on the back. So it just means I've got more of you kind of that's one way of getting more and more ports is that I've got these two GPUs, which give me yeah more stuff and gives me more um, options for how I connect up the displays and hard drives for different Thunderbolt buses and things. Could you explain, you, you mentioned that you also have an afterburner card in there. Um, wh- explain what that is and, and how it helps you. Yeah. So the afterburner card is the thing. Well, I was going to say the main thing it's doing, but I think the only thing it's doing is that it offload it deals with all the ProRes decoding. So when you play back a ProRes file, when you play it back on your Mac in any app, whether you're doing it in QuickTime or in Final Cut or in Premiere or anything like that, when you're playing back a ProRes file, it has to decode, you know, decode the codec. Uh, I guess the same with any codec, has to decode it. And what the Afterburner card is doing is that is doing the decoding, the real-time decoding as you're playing back, which means it frees up the rest of your computer to be doing other stuff, not to be decoding. Like typically, I don't know how many cores decoding takes up, but if you play back a ProRes file on your laptop, iMac, or any any other machine, any machine, a certain percentage of your cores or number of your cores are going to be just processing and decoding the, the codec. So yeah, so really it's offloading all the decoding of ProRes onto the Afterburner card, which frees up gpus cpus for everything else you're throwing at it yeah and and as guys like you are using 4k and even more uh big size video files i imagine that's that could be quite a bit of processing power that you're you're reserving now yeah and i think even you know even just to allow more and more kind of real-time effects like if i'm if i'm if we're laying up a lot of video effects and stuff like that rather than sitting back and waiting for it to render you know the you know, actually, to be honest, a lot of Macs deal, especially in Final Cut because it's so well optimized, they deal very well with the effects and things. You can do quite a lot at real time, but obviously you get to a point where you've got too many effects or some of your color extra 
so processor intensive that you'll either need to render or step down the quality of your playback. But yeah, this having the Afterburner card gives you that, you know, you've got your full everything else there to play with, basically. All right. So you've got this this power machine under your desk now. You turn it on, you do your first edit with it. How is it different? Initially, with my sort of the current workflows I talked about, the first thing I notice is that I'm not noticing any <laughs> anything. Everything's just working and flying. And when I say not noticing anything, I mean I'm not I'm not coming up against any um any slowdown, any, you know, I can be throwing whatever I want at it without rendering everything's just kind of running super smooth and super fast. It's kind of like really frictionless editing. I'm just, yeah, working away. That was the first thing I noticed. It's like, this is great. It's rock solid. I'm kind of everything I throw at it, however many video effects, whatever, all that kind of stuff. It's just, yeah, I'm never having to stop and think about, okay, we just need to render this or I'm just going to hang off and do that for a second. You know, I'm just working fast. Then the next thing I thought was I recently did a music video for a UK artist called Stormzy. And I took, I was working with 4K ProRes Proxy files. And I thought, hang on, like I worked at 4K ProRes Proxy, but when I was on set, I was having to take the 4K ProRes files from the camera, convert them to ProRes Proxy, and then work with them. You know, you can work with them at 444, but I was, you know, having to crunch them down to make sure everything was moving fast. So the first, so I loaded back that project back up and relinked it back to the original camera files from the Array Alexa, which are, 4k prores 444 files and it worked absolutely fine everything worked as it did when i was using my proxy workflow um i was able to have like i could open up my multicam viewer so music often in music videos we use multicams and sync up all the performance run-throughs in a multicam and i've been you know in this project i was able to play back all 16 streams of 4k prores 444 at once and see all those performance run through his playing back in in the timeline now how did that how did that compare to the proxy file on the old machine you know in terms of just uh so with the proxy files they i was definitely i don't think i even tried to look at 16 streams of <laughs> 4k <laughs> proxy just because it doesn't tend to work i think when i i've since went back and just tested on my imac how many streams of prores 444 i was um I was able to get running on the iMac Pro um, and it was about eight. So it's a lot. This was, I was getting, seemed to be getting double the, double the streams of 4K playing back at once, which is great. Uh, you know, when we interviewed Doug Brooks, he talked about the reason we want to put wheels on it is because people do want to drag these things onto set. Now, maybe that's why. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use full res media for every single job, but on a music video like this, that's fast turnaround. I'm having to copy the media to my computer, transcode it, and then work with it. If it takes that step out that I don't even have to transcode it, and I can, or later down the line, if I've got loads of effects and a lot of complex stuff going on, I need to get the bandwidth down a bit. I might need to switch to proxy. But on on a current job now, I know I can happily throw anything like that at it, and it will just work perfectly, which is great. Nice. That 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 Mac is a beast. Yeah. Um, actually, do you know what I should, while we're talking about sort of current workflows and things, I've done a, I, I tried out, I'm not a massive, I'm not a benchmark guy. I just kind of generally, you know, just work and see how things go. And so everything's yeah. kind of, 
you know, it's all a bit anecdotal, I suppose, but I did test a few different um, sequences out. Like we've had, um, often one thing we'll do, if we are, if we do need to transcode rushes, we'll have a lot of rushes, um, so you've got hours and hours, so we need to get the file size down. Um, yeah, so transcoding from Alexa ProRes files down to HD was about eight times faster than my MacBook Pro and about two and a half, three times faster than the um, than the iMac Pro that I t- told you about. So straight away here, if we're getting two or three times the speeds, that means we can get the rushes two or three times quicker. It means assistants can go home two or three times faster. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so that's very quick. But I saw even there's even kind of faster gains when you export from Final Cut. And we've got like, a, I've been playing with like a rough sort of benchmark testing, uh, which on the iMac Pro was taking just under two minutes to export. And on my MacBook Pro, which is a 2018 one, was taking three and a half minutes to export. On the on the Mac Pro, it was taking 35 seconds. So, that's crazy. You know, yeah. and that that's that's like a, you know, a certain length, you know, so you might say, okay, one minute, one and a half minutes, two minutes down to 40 seconds down to 30 seconds what does that mean you know that's just like you can make a cup of coffee it doesn't make a difference but some of the guys here have been cutting a tv show every episode's 47 minutes long um and i tried exporting that episode that's been taking them 10 to 15 minutes depending on how many effects there are 10 to 15 minutes on the imac pro to export a 47 minute episode and this is actually down to h264 now so it's compressing it down to h264 so we can send it off for review so on the Mac Pro, it was exporting the 47-minute TV show in 2 minutes 40, down to H.264. And so that's like, that's a massive life upgrade for the assistant or editor who's exporting at the end of a day for, you know, to send something out for review. Because once you're done editing and you've got to post something, the difference between waiting 15 minutes, half an hour, or 2 minutes, 5 minutes is great. There's just so many stories about the things you can do with this Mac Pro. When we were in San Jose, we saw a friend who used to be uh, work with Pixar, but now he's with Apple on their pro team. And he had the set for the new Toy Story movie. And he had the like entire 3D model of the set for the movie on the Mac Pro. I said, isn't that something you put on servers? He's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, or this one computer. <laughs> There's this story from the the early days of the of the Macintosh when it was still under development and apparently Steve Jobs was unhappy about how slowly it booted and there's this quote I'll put the link in the show notes about you know if we take 10 seconds off the boot time and it's booted a million times in the next year you know how many minutes hours days does that give back like worldwide and and it's it's funny to think about on that meta scale but I really liked what you said about that means people get to go home earlier, right? It means that people get to to be more creative and do more work and be more efficient and not just sitting around, you know, waiting for the computer. And in this business, that's that's a real like everyday tangible benefit. Yeah, I, I, one caveat to that is that I would say is that none of us are going to be going home at three thirty, though. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> the you know the really what it actually means in real terms is that you've got there's another hour that you could be being creative on something you know if you've got a deadline i don't have to have an artificial deadline an hour earlier because i need to get things exported and uploaded um same with having fast internet speeds we've got really fast internet here so we don't have to sit around waiting for stuff to go up and down uh 
you know, onto the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, really, it means that we've got more time to actually be being creative. It's the same with like how fast we can be in Final Cut. It's less about, you know, is it's less about the speed gain so we get the work finished early, but it's more that I've got more time to experiment and and try stuff out and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And actually, one thing I just realized as I've been talking to you now is those speed gains I just talked about, I've got a mid-tier Mac Pro as well. That's, well, it seems to be what I've got. It's kind of middle <laughs> middle spec. So God knows what the spec or what the times would be like for, you know, full, fully specced out one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you really wanted to get the fully loaded Mac Pro, that that two minutes may be even less. Yeah, oh, it will be less. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Omni Group, makers of some of the finest productivity software for the Mac, the iPad, and the iPhone. As we're recording the show, we're getting ready to head into a new year, and maybe it's time you thought about bringing the Omni Group into your life and help you get whatever it is you're dreaming about done. Uh, A couple of the apps I'd like to mention is OmniFocus, which is my very favorite task manager. It's the app I use every day to hold it all together. They've also got Omni Outliner, which is an amazing outlining application that allows you to get outlines created that look beautiful, and they're powerful as well. People have written entire books using Omni Outliner. I'm using it right now to prepare the next Big Mac Sparky Field Guide. If you need to do some project planning heading into next year, check out OmniPlan. It's a project planning software that is not only powerful, but also beautiful. And if you need to do any sort of design work at all, check out OmniGraffle. OmniGraffle is the design application that I like to think of that works for everyone. I keep that on my iPad and my Mac, and I use it all the time to diagram ideas and thoughts. I even use them as trial exhibits on the lawyer stuff, and I use them as diagrams and images in my books and videos. OmniGraffle is just the application I go to for all of those problems. The Omni Group is a group of software developers and designers up in Seattle that spend all of their time trying to make the best possible software for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. That's really all they think about, is making your software better so you can accomplish more every day. For years, they've supported the Mac Power User community, and I really appreciate that, but even more so, I appreciate the amazing software they brought to us all. So like I said, you're heading into a new year. Maybe you want to get a little more productive next year. It's time to head over to the Omni Group and check out some of these amazing applications. They all have free trial periods, so you can get in there and kick the tires and see for yourself just how great they are. Thank you, Omni Group, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Thomas, we've been dancing around this a little bit, but I know there's a lot of listeners of the show that are are interested in a high-end Mac, but they're trying to figure out, you know, where's the lines drawn between, like, the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro. And as someone who's used both of them now daily, what would you recommend to people? I think it's a really hard question without knowing who and who they are and what work they're doing. I think there's a lot of work that we do here and a lot of the work that I do that that doesn't require a Mac Pro day in day out, you know. The iMac Pro is an amazing machine and we we use it and have been using it for a couple of years now and it's amazing. Um and we get our work done and you know, it's brilliant. But there is there's kind of new work on the horizon now that's, um, you know, all the way up to 8K file sizes or 6K, 8K stuff that and stuff where we can be working with full res and delivering full res files. And that kind of stuff wouldn't be possible 
with an iMac Pro or with a with a MacBook Pro. Um, so I think it comes down to kind of individual needs, really. Um, whether people see, I guess, one whether you see that if there's something if that what are the bottlenecks in your workflow? I guess if you know if you're having to do something at the end of your day or for every you know often in your day that's taking a long time and that could be sped up with a faster machine that's going to export things better then i guess it's how much your time is worth and how much more work or how early you want to go home you know or how much more you can get done for your clients it's quite hard to say for everyone what what the yeah. right choice is between those things um i think here we you know we're going to continue to use macbook pros and imac pros and and the Mac Pro, I think there's there's kind of a place in the workflow we have here in the company. We're kind of a microcosm, really. There's a place for all the different um, different levels of machine. Yeah, they had like an a, like a, a sample edit house set up at, at WWDC this year when they announced the Mac Pro, and they had like an iMac Pro in the corner that they were using for data management and storage, and they were doing certain things on that machine because it wasn't they didn't need to manage you know two or three 8k streams in fact i didn't i read somewhere that they've got it up to like six 8k streams in the mac pro is that right yeah i i've definitely had four or five playing back i don't know if i actually (laughs) tried six but i definitely got more than what was originally advertised so i don't know what they've done there or (laughs) it's crazy man well that so that so you're not going to get that on your imac pro but but you know well i think the most I can definitely get one stream of 8K playing back. And when I say playing back as well, I'm not, this isn't like stepping it down to, you know, better performance in Final Cut or going down to quarter res in other apps. You know, this is talking about playing something back. You know, you're playing back the full file at full quality. Yeah, I think it's hard to wrap wrap your mind around just how, not only how big these files are, but just how much data the computer has to process just for playback, right? Not necessarily editing or adding color correction, but just I want to hit the space bar and watch it play. That alone is so much stuff the computer has to take care of. And and in a way, uh, from, from my perspective, how I view the industry is, I feel like there's always give and take, like cameras and uh, you know resolution has run out way ahead. And now the computers to actually manage that are catching up. And you know, maybe there'll be some sort of level playing field for a while, then something else will happen, and the other side has to catch up again. And I mean, but I remember like in in college when people started playing with you know uh, HD video, and when you know, I think my when a friend of mine was like, "Oh, I'm going to try editing something in 1080," we were like, "You're crazy! What are you doing? You can't edit 1080 on that." And and now here we are talking about 8K, and it just you know time marches on, and these things get uh, bigger and more rich as as it does. Yeah, and often the bottleneck is um, not only the storage size of your, sorry, not only the size of your storage, but the speed of your storage. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't, nowadays, I wouldn't dream of editing off a spinning hard drive. It just wouldn't be fast mm-hmm. enough. Uh, for our mobile editing, we use uh, like little Samsung T5 SSDs, which get you about 500 megabits a second. But already there's a Samsung X5 that gets you 2000 megabits a second on an external SSD. And it will cost you twice as much as the T5, but you know there's always, yeah, prices. I think I saw an interesting, um, or I read an interesting article about 4K, 8K, and above. And there was kind, there's kind of like a rhythm to the cost of resolution. And I can't remember quite what the cycle was. It may have been eight years, but every eight years, 
the money you spend for storage for a certain resolution is the same amount of money relatively that you spent eight years ago for the previous resolution. Hmm. So HD storage to hold an hour of HD, eight years later, storage to hold an hour of 4K is the same price relatively. So these, although, you know, these storages are always getting cheaper, obviously, and always getting bigger and always getting faster. And that's why I kind of, even though, you know, people assume that 4K is big enough, why do we need any bigger than that? I just would never bet on resolutions not getting bigger. I think yeah. they're always going to get bigger. Who knows where it's, I wouldn't even bother betting on where it would stop. But even if people believe that 4K TVs are sort of the limit of what you need, uh, 8K acquisition for a 4K TV it is great because, you know, we're already doing projects where you need to, you know, if you've got an 8K source file, you can punch in 200% and you're still working pixel for pixel. Or, you know, a lot of stuff we're doing now, this goes into a, a lot of the newer projects we're doing. We're working directly with a lot of fashion brands and we have to deliver them a TV commercial that's at 1080. We have to deliver them a cinema thing that might be at 2K. Then suddenly we're having to deliver them like a vertical 5K file for a really high-end fashion store because they've got these really high-res screens that are massive, like up the side of you know the side of a building. <laughs> um, and you know, if we were just shooting 4K, that wouldn't be big enough to crop the image vertically and have it up. But if you're shooting 8K, it gets you a lot closer to that. Mm -hmm. So even if we're not delivering 8K, 8K acquisition and working with 8K is a massive benefit. I think um I remember hearing ages ago that uh they shot um House of Cards at 5K but they framed for the 4K section in the middle so that's what they were framing for but it gave them the extra pixels around the edge to reframe if they needed to to you know crop you know to slide the image up down left and right if they needed to or to add stabilization you know they yeah. had the extra pixels around the image so I think yeah that's quite a long way of saying that um I think, you know, stuff's always going to get bigger, but so are the hard drives and, you know, it just things catch up in time. Uh, and, yeah, they always sort of catch up to meet those needs. And I'm just so happy that Apple's part of the conversation with this computer because there is more than enough compute power here to keep this thing going for a while. Yeah, is it worth me talking a little bit now about what this allows us to do in the future a bit more? Yeah, I mean, in addition to faster, what what else does this give you? Yeah, so like when we first got access to this, we've already been working and expanding the kind of things we're doing here at Trim. So we've got a sort of side arm of the company called Trim Studio, where we're, um, well, called that internally, where we're not only doing the offline editing, but we're working with the with high-end fashion brands on set to help them shoot what they need. Then we're editing it and we're doing the sound and the grade, visual effects, everything. We're doing it all in-house and we're working we're doing it primarily with fashion brands at the moment because they're shooting their stills, but they need help with the other stuff. And, you know, we, we can offer them sort of a package all in-house and doing all the deliverables. And when I told some of the guys who run the company that I was going to have access to this machine, it got us thinking about how new things we could be offering and new things we could be delivering. Um, and like I said, we can be shooting for... We can be acquiring 8K footage so we can repurpose it. But also we're like one project we've got coming up soon is with a photographer who he his photography is incredible. But when he shoots video, it obviously doesn't look as good as his stills photography 
but he loves shooting on film and he loves shooting 65 millimeter. And what we're able to do now is he's going to shoot 65 millimeter. We're going to get it scanned at 8K and we can work directly with that 8K scan of 65 millimeter film. And it brings the stuff, the moving image work he's doing, it brings it so much closer to his, to his stills work. And then, you know, because he's an artist, he'll be displaying it in galleries and stuff. And, you know, he can display it at that full res and he can be working at the full res in our edit suite with, you know, the high dynamic range and all the kind of amazing new stuff you can do with the Mac Pro and the display. He can be doing that with us for the whole process. So actually having a machine like this in our place with the kind of new work we're we're reaching towards, it's it's gonna it's opening up new kind of revenue streams, new things that we could be doing that we couldn't be doing before. And we're we're able to deliver things that other big post houses can't or won't deliver. You know, it's not on their books to deliver 8K, you know, 8K masters. Whereas we can we can now do that. We've we've got these projects. There's one an 8K one shooting and editing right now. So like this stuff is happening, and it's uh, yeah, it's kind of amazing because it's great. It's opening up new opportunities because uh, you know I don't know how much you guys know about the post production world, but with everything, it's like budgets are always shrinking. So everyone's you know it's always good to have these kind of new revenue streams and new areas where you can be delivering more for your clients um yeah it's like uh, technology has democratized uh post-production so much over the last you know 30 years it just it seems like it's just one more step along the way that now you can buy one mac pro that you used to need server farms to do that work yeah Definitely. And yeah, it's just incredible the kind of new stuff it's enabling. I mean, we wouldn't have considered doing an 8K 65 mil film project before, or we would have done it at HD and then let's see if someone else could kind of finish it off. But I, d- I actually don't, I don't even think we could have even got anyone else to help out with that. That just wouldn't have been something so we could do. So yeah, it's, it's quite incredible, actually. Are you working on that project? Uh, it, well, that one's shooting in the new year. Um, but I'm working on the, we've got uh, another fashion project that's working at the moment that we're kind of, there's a few of us uh, working on. Yeah. Which is shot 8k. That's, that's gotta be fun. But you mentioned along the way that with this new display as well. So you've been also using the new pro display XDR, right? Yeah. What what do you think of that? (laughs) I, uh, I kind of wish I had never seen it really. Cause (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not only just the screen, but just the way the display looks, the actual housing of the display, the look of it is really striking. Um, I've had it in my suite for a little while now, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people I work with aren't sort of Mac nerds or anything, so I haven't, don't know what it is. But a lot of people have just said, "Like, what is that? That's amazing! What is that thing on your desk?" And because I've got, because uh, I have the screen facing me and the other people on the other side of the screen, they're actually looking at the back of that, uh, the back of that display with that sort of aggressive grill design. I think actually the look of it is amazing. The way the a 31 inch display is suddenly way more better than a 27 inch display. Yeah. Um, like bezel-less design is great. The stand is really nice. Like being able to move, like it suddenly makes, when I went back to the iMac Pro, it suddenly makes the movement of the screen like, really annoying that you can't you know you can tilt it move it up and down it's great um 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just love using the display. It's really good. Uh, and then the actual quality of the display is, yeah, it's bananas, really. I mean, you know, the pixel density, I think, is probably what the iMac is. Something, you know, I think it's, you know, it's the same pixel density, but like the dynamic range and the sort of color and dynamic range you're getting in highlights is quite mad. We had, um, there's a job recently, a PlayStation job, which is unreleased, so can't share pictures of it or anything but it was shot um it was shot 8k it was shot 8k red uh rec 2020 which is the color space and it, it was an a hdr red stuff so the editor was working with non-hdr proxy files but we decided to relink it and have a look at what it looked like you know start working with the eight we can work with this 8k raw stuff now so great we'll do that um and we had these prores 8k files of it and it just looks amazing when you compare I, I don't know has anyone i'd never actually seen hdr properly before and it's quite a hard thing to describe what the benefit is you know you can't i don't know how to describe it you know just the the range of light that you're getting from that the like blackest blacks to the brightest whites and the kind of image the quality that you can pull back out when you're color grading is really incredible i mean it just looks amazing i kind of yeah, it'd be great to work with every project at that at that quality level yeah I, I know there's a lot of folks that are not familiar with with your industry are like wow that's a really expensive monitor but it, it really isn't made for someone that's working in microsoft word every day you know it's it's made for people that do the type, type of work you do and i was just sitting here thinking so when you show your clients sample footage you actually have a probably a better screen now at your bay than they have on whatever you're displaying to them. Yeah, like the the current like a couple of us who've got 4K HDRs. I've just got a 4K TV, so what's the, the output to there is is not as good as what I'm seeing on the. And yeah, it's got more pixels than on the main screen. But also, it um, for a lot of our work, a lot of people won't want to spend. A lot of editors won't need to spend that money for that display because it won't give them the benefit that they need. The, you know, a lot of people won't be working in HDR and it's not necessary. And a lot of the work we do when we're doing offline editing, we don't require that. But with these new types of jobs that we're doing where we're working in, you know, we're delivering these fashion projects of, you know, and we're working at source resolution with HDR footage. Again, it's like, like I said, it opens up new opportunities for work we can do because rather than thinking we're going to have to send this off for a specialist grade or we're going to send it off so you can see what it's, you know, and finally get your final image quality, we can actually be working with that, like, now. Like, the stuff I'm selecting and throwing together in assembly, this, this is the best it's going to look already. It kind of, yeah. So it's really interesting that it kind of, yeah, opens up those different opportunities for us. And And it, like, the main thing is that it just looks amazing and I love working on that display. It's, yeah. It's kind of sporting. And I have tried it out with my MacBook Pro as well. And it's been, yeah, I mean, obviously it looks the same, but it drives it at 6K and it's great. Yeah, see, if I were going to buy a Mac Pro, I would definitely not look at that monitor because <laughs> I think it would ruin you. How would you, how could you unsee that, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, it is really great. I mean, uh, the other, uh, other editors have kind of stuck their head in and been like, ah, I'm going to have to get one, aren't I? <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> you can have come and have tea with me but it may end up costing you thousands of dollars <laughs> yeah 
the um for folks that don't need the high end um but for you know pro work like you're doing what what type of monitor would you recommend i mean the imac the standard imac display is great the imac pro des display is great and it comes with a free computer yeah so like i just uh, that's just been a great value proposition for ages i think is kind of yeah the imac screen is so good it's like 5k resolution like yeah Yeah. it's bright and it's the colors are great you know this is a step beyond that but i just think the the imac is the imac is probably what most people need for that kind of thing we've also been using the lg 5k and while i don't like the look of the display as much the you know the screen is i mean it's made by lg who make the panel for for the imac anyway i I don't know whether it's the identical panel but it kind of we, we we use that um as well in our suites for connecting up to uh, laptops. I would recommend an LG 5K, but with sort of caveats. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think, actually, the thing is, we're all spoiled. Anyone who's used an iMac is kind of spoiled because once you come from an iMac, you've, unless you get the LG 5K, you've got no other option for a 5K display. And, you know, I don't want to use a 4K display that's 30 inches because it's not the same resolution like i think that retina right. resolution is so nice that you know even a lot of, i've been interested sometimes in a lot of these ultra wide monitors but they're kind of like 4k but stretched wide they're actually like even less pixels it seems than like yeah i just think that retina sort of retina lifestyle is something you can't really go back on yeah the density goes down pretty quick uh on some of those those are the ultra wides but um yeah, I think I think the story here is that you know this the Pro Display XDR is a tool for people with very specific needs, and well, I think a lot of people would like to see Apple sort of make a 5K display, you know, that that maybe even looked like this to get away from the LG's sort of enclosure. Uh, the reality is, I think this XDR is it's it's extremely specific in the needs that it that it meets, and if and if you're in that position, like you are, the people you work with. That's awesome. But for the rest of us, it's something that doesn't, even me thinking about buying a Mac Pro, the Pro Display XDR is not on the table because I don't need what it offers. I need something way less. And so I'm glad that it's there. You know, it, it seems to me that Apple's really talked about the impact that this can have in people's workflows where, uh, and you mentioned it too before, you know, you have specific hardware to do the the uh, the coloring work and and you're sort of waiting to the end and all that gets done and and now you can have those tools throughout the the chain of people working on a project. No doubt that's revolutionary to people uh, in your field, but it is something that is um, really high end and really not for the masses. I don't think. But Stephen, you got to get one though, right? No, you're not talking <laughs> into that. <laughs> but but you talked earlier about when you go to external monitors and external equipment the problem with like audio sync and kind of the problems you have, you know, trying to put those things into your workflow. Was there anything like that with this? I mean, how, how well did it work together? It, yes, it works perfectly. It's perfectly in sync. It's like, it's one, actually we had the, one of our, the guy here who's, who's our colorist who's been working here. He came in and had a look at it and he was, it's funny because I've been blown away by the display. He looks at, high-end displays like that all the time so his reaction wasn't this display is incredible but his reaction was like this display should be over twenty thousand pounds 
This yeah. is like bananas that is this cheap and it should have you require like in and out, you know, these IO boxes to to drive them and to to send the pixels to them. Whereas actually this is one Thunderbolt cable. Um and it just kind of works. The same with my laptop. You know, I unplug it from the Mac Pro and plug it into my laptop and it's working. It's driving it at full res and it's driving, you know, it's got all the color and everything. I think the new, I don't know about, the, I haven't, obviously I haven't got the 16 inch, but apparently that will drive two of them. Um, so in terms of like the way things work here at our company, it's like it fits in perfectly with that because it's, you just plug it in and it's working. You don't need any additional, you can move it to another room. Someone else can plug their laptop into it they can plug i mean i believe it will work with i don't know what the range of macs it will work with but i believe it will work with most macs in some capacity i don't know exactly yet yeah they haven't made it really clear as we record but i think we're going to get more on that soon it'll probably depend on gpus and on thunderbolt specs and things like that but no i mean it's incredible how it works um I think this, obviously I don't have this many of them, but apparently the Mac Pro would derive six of them as well. Holy moly. <laughs> That's which is, uh, maybe if you, you need super bright, um, you know, finance stuff, if you're working in the in Wall Street, you could have six of these things laid out. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, for a lot of us, it is uh, not what we need. You know, it, it's more monitor than we need. But the people that are in the industry that need these super, you know, HDR color corrected monitors, it's actually not that expensive. It's actually much less expensive than a lot of the comp- competing monitors. So no, I mean the four, the four KT. We have a sort of I can't remember the, it's the Flanders Scientific um, is the brand. We have this four K TV for color grading, and that's properly cali- super calibrated. Blah blah blah. That was that's at least fifteen grand. And it's 50 inches. It's not, and it's a 50 inch 4K TV. It's not a, you know, 30 inch thing on your desk that is connected with one cable. So it's just, yeah, it's kind of incredible. Nice. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. You may have some time off here at the end of the year, and you may want to catch up on some of your favorite streaming TV shows from anywhere in your house without interruption. Eero is the solution to make that possible because it blankets your whole home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi, eliminating poor coverage, dead spots, and buffering so you can have consistently strong signal wherever you need it. One of my favorite things to do when it's nice outside is take my iPad or my MacBook Pro and work out on the porch. And in the past, I had trouble connecting. I could get on the internet but couldn't stream anything or file transfers would be slow. But Eero totally solved that for me with their beacons, which allowed me to put additional access points throughout my home. There's an all-new Eero starting at $99. It sets up in just minutes. You plug it straight into your modem or router, and then you manage it from the super simple Eero app, which lets you do cool stuff like pause the Wi-Fi while everyone's eating dinner, or get alerts if any device tries to join your network. Eero has fixed all of my Wi-Fi problems, and it's the Wi-Fi your home deserves too. You can get yours fixed as soon as tomorrow. Go to eero.com mpu and enter the code MPU at checkout to get free overnight shipping with your order. That's eero.com slash MPU and the code MPU at checkout for free overnight shipping. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. It sounds like this machine, this display, is really uh, has the potential to really change the way that you work and people in, in your industry work. But sort of 
Uh, to, to back off the Mac Pro for, for just a second, this is uh, a machine, it's a story, and a string of stories over the last couple of years, including the iMac Pro, including the new 16-inch MacBook Pro, of Apple really shipping high-end products for high-end users that seem to meet their needs better than, than previously, uh, correcting things, coming back to form on other things. Uh, and I wonder how you feel about that, if you're encouraged by that. And if there are still areas you wish that, that Apple would move into. A few years ago, when the, when the iMac Pro first came out, when they first announced, I think, was it at that roundtable, they announced that they were going to make a new Mac Pro and a Pro-focused iMac. I think it was before they'd even announced the iMac. They sort of restated their commitment to Mac hardware and this Pro workflow team, and that kind of thing. And I think when that happened, I was kind of like, cool. Uh, yeah, if that's true, and if we see the fruits of that, then great. And it's been a really slow drip of those things coming to fruition. Like first things first, we had the iMac Pro, which is absolutely amazing. Then we've recently had the MacBook Pro, 16-inch, and now the the Mac Pro. So it definitely feels like they've been listening to uh, feedback and customers. And I think this Mac Pro particularly, you know, you could look at it and say it's a massive regression in form factor. And not in a bad way. It goes way back. It goes back to the cheese braiser, like overtly. It tell you know it's signalling that we've gone back to this design. You know, that, uh, people were predicting like a crazy octopus type. What did modular yeah. mean when they said modular? What, is it going to be like stacks of Mac Minis on top of each other? And the answer was no. It's just going to be a really, really powerful Mac, and you can expand it and you know, you can configure it exactly to your workflow so it does exactly the thing you need it to do. So I think it feels like they've been screaming for the last few years that, yeah, we are we are listening and we are, you know, doing stuff for pros. Um, and I think it's really great. Uh, and I hope it just continues because I think, you know, when I first started using the first thing that attracted me to the Mac was that it felt like it was the tool for creative people and it was like you could get stuff done you know, with that first white iMac I had, it wasn't a super powerful machine, but it felt like I could be doing creative work with it. And I was doing creative work with it. And there was always the aspiration to have a PowerBook or a MacBook Pro or a Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels now that they, they're they getting back to that place. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, they've they've clearly decided that, you know, on in some fronts, you know, that they're happy to kind of rethink from the ground up what they had you know we didn't end up with a bigger trash can basically we ended up with you know a way better cheese grater can, can you imagine if they just scaled up the 2013 like what would the nickname would be like it would be like a like the tub inside a washing machine or something you know <laughs> <laughs> what do you call your what do you call a like big trash can you have outside your house i don't know over uh, here like, it's uh, a, a wheelie bin over here but. yeah like a, a like a cart maybe or a bin you know yeah <laughs> I'm sure Apple wants to get away from those nicknames as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. But no, it does it just it does feel like they're kind of listening and you know, the fact that the MacBook got MacBook Pro got thicker and heavier and has better battery life, I think, does it? Oh anyway, it's better inside, you know, it's got better thermals and the same with the iMac Pro, the redesigned internals. You know, I think it feels like they're willing to make those slight sacrifices for you know, for gains that professionals can use. And the fact that you can spec them up to eight terabytes or whatever you need for storage or, you know, 64 gig of RAM. 
Well, and I think a big part of the story for the Mac Pro is it's modular. You know, Stephen was talking about earlier, well, would I get a video card or wouldn't I? I mean, you could, if you buy that computer, you could decide to do some of that later. You know. Yeah, and I think it also when you said earlier what what I suggest someone buys, it like it depends what you're using. You know, if you're if you're shooting to ProRes or ProRes RAW, then the afterburner card is a no brainer. But if you're not, the afterburner card won't help you in that in that. You know, if you're not using ProRes for your material, then the afterburner card's not worth it. And maybe you get another GPU instead of that, or you know. Yeah, it's going to be really fun seeing all the modular components, not only from Apple, but hopefully third parties as well, and and how you can really build this thing out. Yeah, I think there's supposed to be like a promise RAID that's going to come and fit in one of those double wide slots that just fits in the PCI thing. Yeah. And then also, actually, some interesting little things from inside. There's a USB 2 socket, or sorry, USB A port on the inside, which is USB 2, just hidden away. And that's for uh, often in video like for davinci resolve or if you've got a sound you know if you're using um uh what's it called uh pro tools you'll have a hardware dongle for your license yeah license license usb key yeah. so they've there's a little usb slot on the inside of the mac pro so you don't have to have it hanging out the back of your mac and it's kind of nice. oh that's a cool little thing then yeah. someone told them someone suggested that and they did it there's also some little racks in there as well where you can mount uh, like SATA drives. There's a couple of SATA ports at the top and some racks so you can mount sort of backup storage within there on top of the SSD storage. It's cool. Which is interesting. I really like it when you take the case off this thing. It looks beautiful inside. I, I, I don't know, is that, is that computer porn? Is that what you call it? I don't know, but I, I, I love <laughs> yeah. looking at the way Apple does the inside of these Pro machines. They're they're just amazing on the inside. Yeah. yeah, one thing, the heat sink inside there is ginormous up against the CPU. It's absolutely massive. But then on the reverse side where the RAM is, when you take the little covers off the RAM, on the back side of the covers, they've got a diagram for how you should lay out your RAM depending on how many sticks you're using. Mm. So if you're, not, if you're not filling all the sticks, it tells you what combinations and which slots to put them in, which are just little details like that are really nice, I think. Nice. Well, you know, we've got a lot of listeners that are not uh, cutting the latest Ed Sheeran video, but they do like to do some uh, maybe uh, prosumer video editing. And now Final Cut is in a price range where people can afford it. And it is an amazing app to use with uh, Apple hardware. I mean, I always use Final Cut for my edits, and I've got friends that tell me, oh, you got to try this other program or whatnot. But I feel like because Final Cut's made by Apple and I use Apple hardware, it's just always going to work better. Um, what are some good resources you would recommend for people who want to get better at Final Cut? Well, so uh, at Trim here, we actually don't, the editors, everyone just uses what they want to use to edit with. Uh, And we're kind of like 80% of our people use, 80 or 90% are using Final Cut because that's what they want to use. We've got some people on Avid and some people on Premiere as well. But all of our assistants who join have to learn, have to be able to know how to use all of them because sure. they need to assist us. Uh, the first thing we do with any of our assistants with Final Cut, because most people come in with experience of Premiere or Avid, one or the other, or old, or, you know, you know, Final Cut Classic. But for anyone, we get them, we get them to do this six-hour training course by these guys called Ripple Training, um, and their stuff is the best training. They've got like a there's like a six-hour basic training that gets you up to speed on everything i mean every time they release a new thing i watch it and i get it and watch it every time because i just think they're brilliant uh and they 
present stuff in really concise ways. So I think like first things first, just like it's like $30 or $60 or something, whatever. I'd just buy it and do that because it's it's brilliant. And then you can buy specialist packs on, you know, color correction or sound editing and stuff. But that would be my first port of call. They're just excellent. I've used them for years. Yeah, it's called rippletraining.com. I'm looking at it right now and I guess I'm going to have to sign up. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. I think they're really great presenters and they give you like media to work with so you can kind of play along. If you play the video on your iPad or on your on another screen and then you can be using... Oh, nice. The media they're sort of teaching you with, you can be using that exact media to do the same thing. So it's cool. Can you give me one simple tip for Final Cut that most people don't know about, but it's a super game changer? Well, you know, I think the one thing that most people trip up with Final Cut is the magnetic timeline. That's the thing that people, if you come from a traditional editing system, that's the thing that trips everyone up. If you don't come from that, like young kids pick it up. They love the magnetic timeline, but it takes a while to learn to, for the sort of the mental model to switch because a lot of the conventions are inverted. One tip, though, is about moving clip connections. So clip connections are the point where audio is connected to your video. So in traditional NLEs, the video, the audio is not, unless you group it, it's not connected to the video. There's no relationship between the two. So if you insert a, you know, a shot in the middle, the audio is going to split with the video. Whereas you can connect different parts of audio to video in Final Cut. So if I've got a long, say I've got a long drone noise that has a big impact in the middle, I can connect the impact point of the audio to the impact point of the video, which is the relevant point. You know, that's the point where those two bits are synced together. And then whenever I move stuff around, if I grab a load of shots from the middle of the video and move them to the end, all the sound effects that are associated with those clips automatically go with it. So managing clip connections is a really valuable thing. And the way you do it is you uh, you select the... Oh, God... Now I'm going to have to remember the shortcut. This is the problem with uh, you. I think it's all command and then you click. So you you select your audio clip. Oh, God, you know what? I'm going to actually going to have to load up Final Cut and look at how no, to do this. No, one. don't worry about it. Don't worry no, I about that. Anyway, so actually learning how to move your clip connections between um, different clips is uh, it's the first thing I do because it just makes work so much faster. Yeah, there's like probably 50 shortcuts I use that I my fingers know them, but if you ask me what they are, I couldn't tell you mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the yeah. other thing I'd recommend is that if there's something you do multiple times a day, like you go into a menu to find a thing to do it, like you're changing the speed to 200% on a clip or anything, or reversing the speed of a clip, look in the Final Cut command editor and just search it. It's really easy to search for it and assign it to a keyboard shortcut. Yeah. That's what I, you know, and then those things just kind of become second nature. Now, do you do it all on just the keyboard or do you have like a separate like keyboard of commands? Sometimes I know editors have like separate boards for some of their software commands. Yeah, no, I just have a keyboard and a mouse or a trackpad. I, I, I do a lot of screencast editing. A few years ago, I bought some device off uh, the internet that was like it had a, a wheel on it to like do very uh, fine edits and moving the edit points. And I just found that the keyboard shortcuts I already had under my fingers were just as good. And it just just got in the way yeah i think they're just as good or quicker and you can do multiple each key is 10 keys with with modifiers and stuff yeah actually one other tip as well when you move between different edit suites or computers i i never remap any of the default keys i always leave them all the same 
Yeah. Um, every time I change it, add a shortcut, it's like additive. I don't overwrite another shortcut because it's really good to be able to, if you're on a new machine or in a new company working on a new machine, you want to be able to just, you want to be able to drive the app normally without having to, yeah, completely remap everything. Yeah, I'll have some some links in the show notes to, to what we've talked about. But the ability to create keyboard shortcuts on the Mac is, I think, a super underrated feature because it, it really can speed up things like you said that you take a trip to the menu 100 times a day. And just like everything else we've talked about today, if you can cut that time in half, it really adds up to real time. Yeah, and especially when you're doing creative work, if you're doing a job, you know, if you're doing something where you're trying to get into a creative flow, anything that can get out the way of you know, of that flow and of you getting your creative stuff done is better. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit uh, about data storage and and data management. We get, we talk a lot about this on the show, talk a lot about with listeners about, you know, all of us have, it feels like more and more uh, files and data to contend with. And, And there are things like iCloud photo library or Dropbox that can help, you know, put some of that on the cloud. So it's, it's accessible, but not necessarily on our our, our local machines. I'm sure this is a, a massive challenge for someone in your industry where you're dealing with just huge amounts of data. And uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, about how you manage big uh, sets of, of data, big sets of files, and then uh, maybe some ways that, that those lessons can trickle down to the rest of us. Yeah, so we, um, we typically, given a hard drive gets delivered to us from the set, uh, that'll have, and they normally deliver us two, one and a backup. Um, we, where we work here in, in the office, we've got a, a jellyfish server, which has got like a big shared storage thing that you can log on to any of the computers over 10 gig Ethernet. So the rushes get put on there straight away. So then you can, you know, you can access it from any computer. Our assistants are then also making backups to hard drives, which we have in little kind of for nostalgia regions. We have these like naked hard drives that go in, uh, you know, like little tape cases. Yeah. So we've got a massive shelf full of every single job we've ever done, which has all the rushes on. So there's like a separate hard copy straight away. Um, we also have, you know, later down the line, they'll make a backup of that from the jellyfish. I think it backs up onto another promise raid. So if, if our server goes down, there's a separate thing that's been backed up every night. And then Backblaze as well, kind of just storing things, you know, online and offsite. Now, that's what the company do. And then us as individual editors, we all have our own different things. Um, I've got like a, I've got an eight terabyte hard drive at home that I put every project on and slowly fill it up. So if I need to go back and access anything, I've got that at home. Um, I know other people have their own like backblaze plans or, you know, different systems. Uh, And then some people probably don't bother doing any backups, but (laughs) that's like, you know, as a company, the company's got us covered for any massive data loss, basically. I'm just thinking about the guys at Backblaze saying, oh, we'll just have this simple plan. And then someone like you signs up for it and just like piles on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I looked back at one of the, in looking at like looking up for any old 8K media I had, I looked at one of the jobs, which was a Volvo commercial that was about two years ago. And it was shot 8K red. And the raw rushes are 12 terabytes. Wow. That was from five days of shooting, I think. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's crazy, but I I think of all people, uh, film editors are some of the most manic about backup and storage. So I'm I'm glad to hear how you guys do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, there's multiple systems to make sure we're all covered. 
Now, when you're doing the, the home backup, is that on a spinning drive or is that an SSD? Yeah, that's a sp- uh, actually the the other thing is we a lot of us for mobile editing have got um, like I said earlier, Samsung T5 drives. Um, so I've got a load of those, one terabyte or two terabyte ones. Often, like Black Friday, they there was a deal on them, so I bought a few more. Yeah. So I've I've got those, but then I do just have a like a big cheap spinning hard drive at home, or two of them with the same thing on. Just you know, it was really cheap. It was under a hundred quid. It might die without me knowing it, but it's there just in case. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one other thing we do. The other thing we do is we back up all our Final Cut libraries. We zip them up and back them up on Dropbox every night. So you know, if you're then working from home and you forgot to, just so there's a backup of the latest library somewhere else as well nice this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by freshbooks online invoicing made easy go to freshbooks.com mpu to get a free 30-day trial are you a freelancer and want to save yourself a pile of time our friends at freshbooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software by simplifying tasks like invoicing tracking expenses and getting paid online FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. I can attest for that. I'm a FreshBooks customer. I use FreshBooks to send out all my Max Barkey invoicing, and it makes it so easy. With FreshBooks, when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it or not. That puts an end to that guessing game to whether they've opened it or not. And also with that new projects feature, you can share files and messages with your clients, contractors, and employees and see just how quickly things happen when all your conversations live in one place. But best of all, you create an invoice simply, it looks beautiful, you send it, and the clients pay it. It just takes all of those headaches off of your plate. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of the Mac Power users. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and enter Mac Power Users in the How Did You Hear About Us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So we like to close these shows with uh, our guests talking about some apps or services that are, are currently bringing them joy. And I would imagine that you may have some, some uh, pretty fun ones. Yeah, so I've got a... Uh... Uh, two or three like video related ones which I don't they may be things you guys have heard of they may not be the first one is a service that called Frame.io I don't know if you've heard of that I have um, yeah so we use Frame.io I use it every day for delivering my cuts to directors and to ad agencies for them to watch them so it's uh, you know you can upload your video really fast to it you can send links to for people to review one or multiple videos you can have commenting so people can comment, they can draw on the image and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then more recently, there's a quite good integration with Final Cut and Premiere where say someone's making time-coded comments throughout the video, you know, you lose this shot, color grade this shot, make this better. There's a system for bringing that data back into your editor. So it comes in as markers in Final Cut. I'm not quite sure how it works in Premiere, but it's really great for clients to review cuts and... And to feedback on stuff, and we use it, yeah, day in day out, and it's fast and super solid. Another thing we for rushes when we're when we need rushes delivered to us quickly from set. If someone's shooting in another country, we use a service called Massive. Uh, it's M A S V, and they we've just found it's a really you can send 
a production coming to another country a link and it will give them a little portal where they can drag and drop the rushes onto. And the upload and download speeds are super fast and they just charge you a certain amount per megabyte. So, you know, it might be $10 for a whole job. And, you know, that just gets tacked onto the price of the job and the client pays for that. And, yeah, it's just quite a simple, fast service that we use. Um, it's kind of foolproof. Um, and that's how we get a lot of our rushes from abroad. You know, it's funny how that that space is still evolving, you know, just moving big, big piles of data between people. I don't think that's settled at all right now. And companies like Massive are a good example of that. Yeah, because I think, the, like, people are for them to make money, they have to optimize for different things, you know, like Dropbox will upload slowly, but it'll upload all Google drive slow as well. For So for rushes delivery, those kind of services aren't good enough for us. Um, but something like massive where you're just paying per gigabyte and you know, it's for a professional job, it kind of, and it's not that expensive. It's, it's great. And then the last one is, uh, there's a company called intelligent assistants, uh, who create, um, plugins and, associated apps for the for final cut and for premiere and stuff and actually the final cut sort of ecosystem for apps and uh transitions and effects is really vibrant and there's so much amazing stuff out there because you can make everything in motion and you know and then you know give it to everyone as a as a template or as a title or whatever but these guys intelligent assistants make a lot of amazing apps that we use um one is called producer's best friend where you export an xml from final cut and it basically creates spreadsheets that are based on the metadata from your edit. So we tag everything with a lot of metadata. So you've got, you know, we might be tagging a clip saying this is an effect shot or this is a VFX shot or all this kind of different stuff. And this spread, this producer's best friend just creates these spreadsheets with vast amounts of data with all the keywording and tagging and time code and everything. And you can then use those spreadsheets to pass on to a post producer often often like one example of where that's useful is you often have to do music cue sheets so you want to know the producers will need a list of every music track that's used in your tv shows so they can check whether it's been cleared or not so you can export an xml from final cut a final cut has everything all the music tags so it knows which clips are music so you just in your spreadsheet just say okay i just want the music stuff and this is the time code it is this is the file name maybe in the note in the clip we've told we've written what the where the track's from and who it's written by. And it's just instantly done rather than having to go through an assistant, having to go through manually and go through and write down every single clip into a spreadsheet themselves. So producer's best friend is amazing for that kind of stuff. And the last thing they make just quickly, if we've got time is that they, they've got an app called lumberjack builder. Now Lum, they call it lumberjack because it was about logging, logging your footage. And <laughs> I get it. Okay. Which is kind of cool. And the app's like a little, you know, red and red and black checkered logo, which is, cute i guess um and uh the yeah so lumberjack lumberjack was this thing that logs your footage that breaks it down that takes your transcripts sorry it will you it uploads your audio and creates transcripts of all your video files and this new part lumber well, maybe it's not that new this thing they have called lumberjack builder you it's a separate app and you have your transcripts on the left so you've got an interview with someone you can take the blocks of text and order them and cut and paste them how you want. You're visually looking at the text, which is a really easy way to work. And then it'll take, and you can tweak and trim the bits that you need, but you then send an XML into Final Cut and it's already created a sequence for you of that interview in that order. So it's really, 
it's a really nice way of working. It's particularly good for people who aren't editors because they can literally sit there in a text editor and move the questions and answers around. That literally sounds like magic to me. Yeah, and that's like, um, it's. I can't remember if it's a subscription service, but it's their transcription is amazing, just having everything tagged, and then it's all tagged when you go into Final Cut. You can search by words and things in keywords and notes, but also this builder element of it where you, outside of Final Cut, you can just be creating interviews by you know reformatting text kind of it's amazing well well thomas when they announced the new mac pro steve and i were talking we said we want to get somebody on the show that really pushes that machine to the limit and we're so fortunate that you agreed to come on thank you so much uh, as the new mac pro launches into the world to, to be able to share the story with our audience about someone who can really squeeze all the marrow out of that out of that new system yeah, thanks so much for having me on here. It's been it's been really fun to talk about it at last because I've been yeah, having to keep my mouth shut obviously. Yeah. <laughs> now now gang, you can find Thomas over at thomasgrovecarter.com. Uh spelled just like it sounds. We'll have links in the show notes. Also trimediting.com. You've got a an editor's page there that shows some of your the cool stuff you've done. Uh you've also done some reviews of some some prior products. So we're going to put links to all of that in the show notes. Um, are you active on any social media, Thomas, Twitter, anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as Thomas G. Car- Thomas G. Carter, and I'm on Instagram with the same, at Thomas G. Carter. I post a lot of new work. All my new work gets posted on Instagram. Same with uh, Trim's new work on Trim's Instagram. Twitter, I'm not very active poster, but yeah, I'm on there. All right. Well, we'll check them out there, gang. Uh, we are the Mac Power users. You can find us over on relay.fm slash MPU. This is show 514. Thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Omni, Arrow, and FreshBooks. And we'll see you next week.